There's no cold open. There's no cold listen, open today. There's no cold listen, open today. Uh huh. We just podcasted. Yeah. I hate when people say that. We just well, recorded. Yeah, we just recorded our radio show. Our radio show, our internet radio show for yeah. three and a half hours. Yes. So, first of all, fuck you. <laughs> Second wow. of all, yeah. you're welcome. Yeah. Hello, my name is Brace, <laughs> the little Russian boy. <laughs> what, you don't like it, baby? Oh, my God. You, know, you, you did that. You've done it already, and you liked it so much the first time you brought it back for oh, this Well, it's my intro. Russian accent, you oh, fucking... My. Wait. <laughs> oh. How, how, hello. <laughs> don't say that's Polish. <laughs> that No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> That's Polish. That's hello in Polish. Hello, everyone. I'm Liz. Uh, my name is Brace, the number one Polish rights activist in America. And we have with us here, Young Chomsky, editing out every single Z when Liz tries to talk in her uh, incomprehensible long screeds in Polish. And the podcast is called True Enough. Hello, everyone. Hi. Uh, we got a two-part banger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for you because everyone's like oh well, i don't understand what's going on oh, with you great oh i'm so st- i'm too stupid to know Why? i'm too stu- i need a splainer uh-huh. i need a splainer well bitch uh-huh here it is we got fucking three hours all about ukraine we have two jews in a poll here to tell you about <laughs> ukraine look hey we know uh-huh and you know what? We do. Here it is. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Our training exercises are complete. The Stinger missiles are in place. Our helicopters are grounded. And our ground crews are smoking a little bit of CBD, which... <laughs> Let me start that over again. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just keep it going. All right. Our ground crews are smoking CBD. And I want you guys all to know that the peace process in Ukraine, which Truanon is, of course, leading the charge here, is sponsored. <laughs> is sponsored by Smokewell CBD, which is the answer to all of these problems. And the, these people going crazy over there. Oh, I want a, oh, I want a little country. Oh, I want my own little country. You know what you want? You know what you need? You need a hit. Of a CBD pet. Anyways, welcome to Mark Ames. We have him here emerging from a cloud of CBD smoke to tell us all. (laughs) Yeah. What is Ukraine? Mark, welcome to the show. Oh, so great to be back on with you guys. It's so nice to have you back. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks. I really appreciate it. I loved that last time, and I was always happy always happy to be on again. Well, unfortunately, the war nerd, I mean, Gary Brecher, a.k.a. John Dolan, has been captured by partisans in Montenegro <laughs> and is being tortured as we speak. His injuries have only gotten more oh, obscure yeah. and profane. Yes. Uh, he's currently been flayed, and so uh, <laughs> I... I, I, I <laughs> 
yeah, you know, but, my but heart he goes was, out to uh, the guy. He was, he was brought to a secret lab mm-hmm. and installed with titanium rods. Oh so God. he might be coming back for some big action. They're going to strap <laughs> him to an F1 track in Baku. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's my peace plan for Ukraine. Just th- what they need is a giant brand new F1 track. And that's how we'll, yes. we'll welcome them into the international community. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, Mark, we have you here today because you lived near Ukraine um, for a while. And oh, lived, Liz, yeah. Yeah, Liz right and now. I were, were wondering, we've been texting all week about this. What's Ukraine? <laughs> Brace, you mean the Ukraine? Yeah. I don't know what that is. That sounds like <laughs> if a you want to annoy thing. them, call it the Ukraine. I mean, you know, again, uh, Ukraine, Ukraine, Krai means the edge, U means near. So it uh-huh. is of or near the border or the end. So it's basically the borderland of, of greater Russia. That's what it mm. basically means. And then, of mm-hmm. course, the question is was Russia, I mean, Russia was born in. Kiev. Um, if you, yeah, you know, yeah. however much these myths and realities matter, but you know, that's that is where it was born, Rus. Yeah. So, um, and at some point, I don't know why. I'm I'm not a Ukraine expert, so I'm not sure why it became Ukraine. I don't know why Ukrainian nationalists accept that name mm-hmm. for their country, you know, and themselves. Now that I think of it, why do they why do they agree to call themselves? We're we're on the border of. of of Russia. Well, it's it's actually, I was reading this and, and Victoria Newland wrote a really good piece for the Council on Foreign Relations <laughs> All of them in are good. 2007. Yeah. And it's actually named after um, the guitarist of U2, The Edge. <laughs> so it's actually technically his, it's it's called a principality. Um, he mm. is the, he's the leader of it. Mm-hmm. And so they it, named the country after him. In the name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God, man, I was thinking that is, I, I mean, when I think of the crimes of Gen X, my Gen, that U2 becoming big is is pretty high up there on, it's on rough. the crimes yeah, of my it generation. Shouldn't happen. Yeah. Um, so Ukraine yeah. has not been a country for very long. No, it was, uh, first of all, it was divided for a long time. I mean, it was part of this empire and that empire, the, the Polish-Lithuanian um, empire, Classic, Aust- fantastic empire, by the way. Yes, mm-hmm. interesting <laughs> empire. Yes, first um, king who didn't know how to read. <laughs> hey, <laughs> um, and then Western Ukraine uh, was under the Austro-Hungarian Empire for a long time. Let's say I don't know, at least a couple hundred years. Mm-hmm. I've been to—I don't know if you have, Brace, but I've been to—I went to Lvov long time ago. Uh, no, just God. Kiev. Okay. So Lvov, which is the, it's kind of the heart of Ukrainian nationalism and fascism and all that, used to be a Jewish city, used to be a primarily Jewish Mm -hmm. and Polish city. Ukrainians were actually a minority in that city because they were mostly peasants outside of the cities. Mm -hmm. And they were, the Poles and the Jews were um, exterminated by the Nazis and the Ukrainians, um, nationalists. Um, The Hiwi. Yeah. Ugly stuff. So, and I guess you talked about a lot of this stuff on your um, Banderistan episode. (laughs) I'm doing the plug for you. (laughs) No, we'll definitely link to it because we have a lot of the early kind of Ukrainian history and how a lot of the like really gruesome, gruesome nationalism that emerges out of that or Nazism. I don't even know what 
what's the fascism? It's all of it, all three. All I think it's above. like Ustasha, which is which is yeah. ba- you know, which is no better than the Nazis. They're just less competent. But if you know about you know the Ustasha, they, yeah, no, they were no. very consciously, I think you know, formed along kind of Ustasha lines, similar. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Agree. I mean, it's there's a. I read an interesting book, sort of about the sub factions, not sub factions, like, but the kind of offshoots of these like fascist movements in World War II or pre-World War II and then into the post-war years. And like, yeah, there's a lot more. I, I think that the Ukrainian nationalists had a lot more in common with like the Ustashi than they had mm-hmm. with the actual Nazis in terms of, not in terms of like anti-Semitism, which they had plenty no. in common, they loved uh, but it. just yeah. in terms of, yeah, competence and organization and things mm. like that. Um, yeah. Because, you know, the Germans were obviously very, um, let's say, patriotic towards uh, their vision of Germany. But these these sort of various, like, um, I guess, native nationalist movements that you found uh, tended to be a lot more focused on bloodletting than, like, actual yeah. power building. Running um, things. Sure. Yeah, governance yes. and stuff. Less, the train's yeah, not running on time. <laughs> yeah. Less bureaucratic, more just, like, yeah, brutal uh, violence. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think one thing that's important, I don't know, kind of important for what we might talk about today is just this one particular episode from the, that whole o, OUN, Ukrainian fascist Bandera movement, which is in 1941. I mean, I just keep thinking this is important because of how ubiquitous this became. In April, I believe it was in 1941, the OUN under Bandera in Nazi-occupied Krakow, just before Barbarossa, um, passed a resolution or, or maybe he dec- decreed it because he was the Fuhrer. Mm-hmm. That from now on, the salute for Ukraine would be Slava Ukraina, Heroim Slava, uh, glory to Ukraine, glory to the heroes. And you've probably seen every mainstream pundit, mm-hmm. hack, politician saying, we stand with Ukraine, Slava Ukraina, glory to Ukraine, you know, and so on. And they, they, I remember the first time I tried kind of talking about that in public, um, I got attacked by it, well, in, in this foreign policy list group. I got attacked by one of Bellingcat's big research guys. He said, he said, this is just, you know, you're, you're making this up and it's completely out of nowhere. And you're either being, you know, um, obtuse or being like deliberately dishonest. And then I just quoted for him the actual research, uh, and foot, you know, footnotes and so on. And he just went quiet and got really angry Mm. and left the group. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But that's just a fact. So Yeah. yeah. Every time you see people doing that, it's basically, it's based on, Heil Hitler, Zeke Heil, it's the same, you know, cadence. Yeah, Ukraine. and you'll see it all the time now. Oh, yeah. Like, if yeah. you start looking for it, it's like one of those things where now that you know it, you're going to see it everywhere because yep. it actually is everywhere. Yep. And I guess the other thing to keep in uh, in mind here is that um, throughout the Cold War, I mean, look, the U.S., U.K., but let's say the U.S., NATO, you know, cultivated, well, didn't cultivate, nurtured and financed and everything they could possibly do extreme Ukrainian nationalism uh, mm-hmm. in order to subvert the Soviet Union. And that lived on and, and it didn't end. I mean, these programs, um, you know, they were so deeply entrenched by the 80s and 90s that they they really lived on. But, there were, you, you know, you could put in heating rods and turn this up a lot more when it started mattering more yeah. or kind of just keep it on a low simmer when it didn't matter as much, but you didn't want to necessarily upset mm-hmm. them. Well, I mean, too, there was also a, a, a wide variety of uh, sort of recast uh, resistance groups, usually former, in fact, almost always 
former Nazi collaborators mm-hmm. in both the Baltic countries, uh, yep. Poland, in uh, and especially in Ukraine, uh, that the U.S. financed, and they would they yep. would they would sort of reinsert or like uh, try Airdrop to infiltrate. Them. Yeah, and them which, by the bucket it, loads. Yeah. And you know, that's one thing that um that I think it's it's in part of like the Smiley, the George Smiley series. They talk about how they would they would infiltrate all these guys in a Latvia and they'd get picked up right away. Mm-hmm. Um but that really did happen. And yep. it wasn't necessarily because of like a double agent at MI6, although there were qu- quite a few of those too. Um, but it was it was because these people, I mean, they 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 were basically brutal killers. I mean, they really resemble the soldier of fortune types. That you'd see in Africa, and yep. uh, in the case of people like King Zog, they're often one and the same. <laughs> yep. Oof. No, absolutely. They all, every single one of them. I don't know how many th- hundreds or thousands um, we airdropped in in the '40s, maybe to the early '50s, but literally every single one was captured and killed mm-hmm. or vanished one way or yeah. another. Every single one. Um, right, and. Um, Anyway, let's uh, kind of fast forward a little bit to the uh, sort of late perestroika period. Um, it's funny, Ruch, I don't know if you've heard of Ruch. Ruch was was a big, was like this big umbrella organization of Ukrainian nationalists that I think Christia Freeland, you know, the uh, Canadian foreign minister who's loved her grandpa. Oh, yeah, her, the, oh yeah, yeah her yeah. lovely, lovely, kind yeah. and generous grandfather. Yeah, yeah, which <laughs> who she thinks about. Yeah, yeah, journalist, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So for for uh, those for those who who might not know um uh the Canadian foreign minister's uh grandfather was a a pretty, I mean, just bare-faced Nazi collaborator mm, and yeah. and published a um and a pro-Nazi newspaper, like a, a Nazi newspaper, uh, and yeah, she, took uh, it over from a Jewish publisher who was exterminated. Yes, and took it over and turned it into you know the great leader Hitler is killing more Jews today. Hooray! But there's still mm-hmm. more Jews yet to find. Like that's basically all it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and she would tweet out, you know, on on double genocide. You know, sh- these people push this double genocide theory, which yes. is essentially Holocaust revisionism. That people killed by communism, it was just as bad as people killed by the Nazis. Like on this day, I'm thinking about you know my my lovely grandfather Mikola uh, Chomiak and yeah or Mikhailo Chomiak, and uh, then it all came out yeah and uh, thanks to some communist activists, Ukrainian communist activists, young guys in Canada, uh-huh. how did this stuff? Um, and uh, at first, it was denounced as. Russian disinformation, of course, and people were afraid to even publish it. And then eventually it was admitted, but it was it was sold as, well, it's true, but even true stuff is Russian disinformation. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something that we've learned in the past yeah. uh, six or seven years. Oh, yeah, yeah. So she's got um, this organization. So, so, so Ruch and, you know, Christy Freeland got involved in that. Ruch, oddly enough, was, was set up with pressure from Gorbachev because Gorbachev was a complete fucking idiot. Yes. Um, I I highly recommend to people to read, if you can, this book, Collapse by Vladislav uh, Zubok, which just came out about Gorbachev. It's it's pretty shocking how much of a a, 10 dimensional idiot Gorbachev was. Yeah. Um, Good intention. He's the the chewing on permanent donkey of the day. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. And um, uh, as. Uh, and he thought it'd be a good idea to have local intellectuals who, you know, he overestimated, uh, involved in nationalism and kind of a counterbalance 
um, to the communists because he didn't understand that nationalism was a real thing. And he probably mm-hmm. to this day doesn't understand it. Um, and uh, as that started heating up, the Russians in the east of the country in Crimea started freaking out and thinking these guys want to go free. And we know about them because we know the Bandera story. And so we want to join with Russia. Mm-hmm. So as early as January 1991, Crimea held... There are a lot of referendums going around in the very end of the Soviet Union time, all this sort of independence and sovereignty referendums. One of those was held in Crimea, 1991. 91% voted for sovereignty from Ukraine. There was another referendum, I don't know, a couple of years later where they voted sovereignty and to join Russia. Same in the Donbass area, which is primarily um, Donetsk and Luhansk uh, um, provinces. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is not... Uh, you know, this is nothing new and it's certainly nothing invented yeah. by Russia, even if Russia is exploiting it um, in in their ongoing battles with NATO. Um, but- yeah, I think there is like some, the way sometimes this is presented in the Western press, especially the situation in Crimea, is that like all of the, like Crimea basically wasn't really anything anyone knew about or was like a real place up until like 2014, basically, right. or like 2012. And then suddenly, a, like just a handful of people decided that they wanted to, to like, that they liked Russia more than Ukraine, but they're like crazy people. That's kind of how it's presented in the Western oh, press, yeah. as opposed to this like very long standing yep um i mean there's just like a ton of ethnically russian like ethnically russian speakers like russians in ukraine like you said mm-hmm. there's just like there's just a major yeah. population it's it's like you said a borderland yeah. well the thing too with crimea is that you can look at like the defections from the ukrainian navy in 2014 when russia took over mm. over crimea and it was like I mean, it was something like 75% of yeah. the people just defected. And I'm sorry, I don't think all of those people were just like, oh, I'm offered 200 rubles and like no. a new gaming PC. Well, they also by like Putin. took a, they were like, wait, I'm sorry, we, Ukraine has a Navy? And then they're yeah. like, oh, we're going with the Russians. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, it's, it's like it, the entire, it literally, like they had to get, now Ukraine's Navy is run by like the, the G team or something. Like it's really. <laughs> It's nothing. Yeah. Anytime, anytime uh, a nation starts saying that they're focusing on a mosquito fleet means that, <laughs> no, no, you're fucked. You're, and yes. they're like, we don't even, we just need a Navy to pretend to have a naval. You got to uh, have you one. Know. You have a coastline. You got to have, have a one. Navy. So we're just yeah. going to have like eight speedboats. Also, we can impress RPG NATO. RPG on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, so it was, it was led by the communist leader at the time, Lenin Kravchuk, independence. So, but it's helpful to remember in March 1991, uh, 71% of Ukrainians voted for sovereignty, but to remain part of yeah. the USSR or whatever the USSR was becoming. Mm-hmm. Um, July 91, Bush gives his famous chicken Kiev speech. It was named that I think by William Sapphire because he was trying to tell the Ukrainians um, don't leave it. I mean, I think Bush and those people, they, they didn't believe up until the very end, like this, like Gates and and the the CIA people didn't believe that Gorbachev was anything but Stalin in a Western suit. Yeah, they were just sure at some point there was going to be, um, like a Prague, you know, 1968 crushing of it. The so tanks, they, yeah, yeah, and so they didn't want the Ukrainians to like screw it up just yet. Um, and then a month later was that failed, incredibly right. poorly done failed Gikachipa coup in August 1991, and More after that it was all over. Yeah. yeah, and that was over, and Ukraine was led by Lena Kravchuk, who had been against total independence up until really that summer. And and it, it you know, 
If it wasn't for Boris Yeltsin, who was kind of the opposite of Gorbachev, he was all about power and muscling mm. and taking chances and uh, seizing power and seizing moments. Um, if it wasn't for Yeltsin and kind of Russian nationalism that Yeltsin, like Russian anti-communist nationalism that Yeltsin mm-hmm. kind of wrote in on, I don't think like, I don't think the majority of Ukrainians would have really been serious about um, independence at that time, except in the West, which has always been a hotbed of, you know, you can call it nationalism, you can call it Nazi adjacentism, <laughs> you know. Um, yes. Anyway, so so they go independent. The first president, Leonid Kravchuk, the ex-communist president, he's now like the hero of the Ukrainian diaspora, which is very Nazi adjacent and the West and so and the Western part of Ukraine. And but things are going really badly in Ukraine. So they have an election. Um mm-hmm. and uh it, he go he's going against Leonid Kuchma, who's from kind of the center, center, slightly east of the country. But Kuchma's, you know, he campaigns on being much more friendly with Russia, much closer to Russia, um, a, as well as pro-market reforms. But Russia was kind of the center of all that at the time. Yeah. And oddly, and he wins. And funny enough, and let me call this up real quickly. Um, who's his? Who is Leonid Kuchma's biggest backer? And this is important because Kuchma later becomes basically he's Yanukovych's main sponsor, mm. and he was later seen as the Yanukovych guy. Yeah, this is my favorite guy. Who, by, I mean, we got to do at least one or two episodes on him because a lot of people don't know that much about him as much as his name is thrown around, but that would be George Soros. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Lena, uh, you know, it's funny. I was actually thinking that the other day, Liz, we got to do some Soros yeah, episodes. People, yeah. Cause there's a, there's a, yeah, he's a fascinating guy. It's impossible to brilliant man because it's impossible to Google him without just like ending up in some kind of flat earth, Facebook group or whatever. I, know, I mean, he's huh? just clogged all the pipes and you can't it's, get any It's so information. funny because he's done so much horrible yes. bullshit. Yeah. But yes. so it, much it, wrong. There's also just an insane amount of just disinformation out there about yep. him. That it like like Liz said, clogs the pipes so you can't actually get to the good stuff. Yeah. It would be brilliant if he was behind every Nazi. You know what? Conspiracy. I would not put it past him considering yeah. how much my man loves a you know, a false flag. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Interesting that the Polish person thinks the Jews so wily here. <laughs> hmm. um, Noted. Can I, I just want to read this uh, little bit here from a 1995 profile of Soros, and it's all about Soros basically meddling in and practically controlling domestic politics in like half of Eastern European countries. Um, l- last May, so that would be you know 1994, Leonid Kuchma came to the United States and paid Soros a visit. He was at the time a candidate for president of Ukraine. Soros was so excited by his conversation uh, with somebody, he called somebody in Bucharest and put Kuchma on the phone to relay the outcome of their meeting. Kuchma was rated an outsider in a large field of candidates, but in early July, he won an upset victory. Soros says he had nothing to do with the victory. Hmm. However, Evelyn Herfkens of the World Bank says the bank cannot support election campaigns of reformers in the Ukraine. Soros did. Interesting. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So even the World Bank said, yes, yeah, Soros put him there and probably did things i mean look they all did each other favors and and one person is private so he can't be foia the same way another semi-private organization can versus the government and that's how that shit kind of works and they all profit off it personally um 
Anyway, so 1999, Kuchma runs again. So he was the pro-Russia candidate in 94, and he wins. Mm-hmm. 99, he, he, he runs as the pro-West candidate, mm. and he's against the uh, pro-Russian Communist Party, which is very... Um, Communist Party at this time, it's just, it's very marginalized. So it's yeah. like, it's a fake election pretty much. Um, but he still lost in all the only places he lost were in basically Donbass and Crimea and maybe one or two other yeah. provinces because of Russian, right? Next year, Kuchma, this is when he starts becoming the bad guy. Um, he, later, this is outed, uh, somebody leaks tapes of it. Kuchma calling up and saying he wanted this journalist, Georgi Gungadze, who was an investigative journalist and a pest. Uh, he wanted him taken care of, and that was released. And, and uh, this matters because Gungadze disappeared, and then shortly afterwards, his headless torso, mutilated torso, was found in the river. Mm. That created huge protests, and kind of was the beginning of every orange revolution mm-hmm. and and you know color revolution. And so, Kuchma then made sure to send uh, Ukrainian forces to Iraq to to get on the good side of, of oh, Bush. Coalition yeah. of the willing. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Um, and, uh, then well, it's, two, it's weird. They yeah. ended up in, in, in Krakow, um, <laughs> hi, they yeah. killed thousands of people. It's before they realized where they were. It was, it's crazy. They yeah. were just doing what they, yeah. They yeah. <laughs> so, um, muscle, muscle memory. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned uh, the Orange Re- revolution and that's yes. kind of like, um, we didn't talk about the orange revolution. I'm trying to think we talked a little bit about Maidan when we had Abby Martin on, um, uh-huh. Last year, I believe we had her on when we were discussing the kind of incoming Biden administration, kind of like a little preview to the horrors mm-hmm. of the foreign policy establishment. But the the Orange Revolution, like you said, this kind of kicks off this wave. I mean, this is in the first wave of what is called the color revolutions that kind of sweep through um, Eastern and Central Europe. Uh, now we, you know, some people kind of uh, I would say that universities in the U.S. still teach these as very much um, spur of the moment. You know, the <laughs> people rising up, spontaneous, yeah. democratic, yeah. Uh, the cries of the people yearning to be free. Yeah. Um, but when we say color revolution, what we mean is that actually it's Western backed. And the idea is that, you know, the West comes in. They've been there for a couple of years, usually via NGOs or other kind of partnerships. Civil society that they make. groups, yeah. Civil society groups, yeah. Sometimes, like they are fronting their own there. Sometimes they're just backing, like you know, domestic groups or university groups or whatever in different countries. And they use that as a pretext to kind of drum up, um, you know, uh, like fake. I don't know how else to say it. It's just like it's fake democratic support for their preferred candidates mm-hmm. um, or, you know, fake democratic support to give pretext for new elections or, uh, you know, overturning an election or something, something to that effect. Well, and, and what it, it's kind of evilly brilliant. I mean, look, they tap into genuine grievances. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it wouldn't really go sure, yeah, anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Right. But they, but they're selective about it. If you want something, you've got the infrastructure there and then you just turn the heat up. Mm-hmm. And, yes. and it can work. And if you're getting what you want, you keep it on simmer and no revolution is going to happen. But, you know, civil, what is civil society in these countries? I mean, it, you know, it's starting to become, it's nice to see that finally this whole notion of civil society, it's, at least on some parts of it, is finally starting to become mm-hmm. a dirty word. Like when you hear that word, you know something stinky is going yes, on. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. But or, back you know, then, that no. people are remembering that it's like the third, yep. you know, the little, the third 
part of you know the uh, governance, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, what what is it? It's essentially it, it's essentially elites, local elites, y- usually younger, you know, college educated from good families who join, and civil society is basically funded by wealthy by Western governments. Western oligarchs and local oligarchs mm-hmm. who um, want to be in, you know, in cahoots with the Western oligarchs and the whole mm-hmm. globalized system. That's who funds most of it. Mm-hmm. So they are not represent, but they get to pretend that they represent the people. Yes. and they never represent the people. They might, some of them might do good things, environmental, whatever, but um, but they're not. It's it's actually anti democratic when you think about it because absolutely, yeah. They talk about civil society now as if it represents the people, not even like elections or anything. It's like, well, civil society is for or against this. What does that mean? It means NGOs funded by the rich and powerful. Yeah, yeah you, you mentioned Soros, and men, yeah. you know, people probably have heard of Open Society. That's like one of his <clears throat> yep. biggest. He's got a billion organizations himself. Yep. Um, but Open Society is, of course, like one of the largest. And when you yep. see that little logo on the <laughs> step and repeat at the little yeah. banquet you're going to, or whatever, you know, take heed. You know what's funny about Soros is um, he the left in this country up until. I don't know, maybe maybe around Obama's time, the left was pretty openly, as I remember, maybe like the more kind of harder left or something, but even like the Amy Goodman left, I guess is what I want mm-hmm. to say. We're very open about talking about Soros and all of the damage he was doing in the developing world and former communist countries. It was, I, I mean, that's where most of this was coming from. And then kind of the, the LaRouche, right, you know, mm, LaRouche yes. started glomming onto him, but the left didn't really care about that back then because it was also true. And, you know, to be honest, like for me, when Yasha and I kind of got that scoop that we got screwed on about the Tea Party backed by the Cokes, yeah. uh-huh. like, it was obvious to us when we saw the first thing started. We're like, well, this just looks like some oligarch thing from from Russia, <laughs> you know, like these things don't spontaneously happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, now that's like, I think it's a lot more widely held. But for us coming from Russia, it was just easier to see and from the stuff um Soros did. I mean, in 2003, I was in Georgia, the, the Rose Revolution. So that was just mm-hmm. before the orange one. This was like... Well, rose colored, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right. And uh, <laughs> Soros was big behind that. I mean, he was the major funder yeah. of it, I would say, along with like the NED and some of those groups. Well, um, Pierre Omidyar gets involved in a yep. lot of this yeah. stuff as he well. He does I mean, later he's on. Soros type figure, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a, especially in Ukraine later on. Exactly. So the, so the Orange Revolution, uh, basically what happens, Kuchma, who went from... Being pro-Russian to then pro-West and getting all his support from the West in 2004, he couldn't run again, so he backs Yanukovych, his prime minister. And that, again, now they're back on the pro-Russian side. Kuchma's son-in-law, Viktor Pinchuk, is now like the number one or two oligarch in Ukraine. He backs Mm -hmm. Yanukovych on the pro-Russian side. Why is that name important? Because later he becomes a major funder of the Maidan revolution. He's with the West, and he's a big funder, huge funder of the Clinton Foundation. Um, these guys just go back and forth over and yeah. over, right? BPD ass politicians in this country. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I they love always, you. They always oh, come I don't back for you. vengeance too. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm so fucked up. I'm crazy. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so yeah, so the, the protests were huge. The grievances were real. I mean, look, there was a lot of enormous amount of corruption. Um, Kuchmo didn't quite really get what he was getting into. I mean, the U.S. says you got to let these civil... If you crack down on U.S. civil society groups, you become an enemy. Yeah. So you got to yeah. let them be there. But if you let them 
grow there, then you're screwing yourself. Mm-hmm. So well, look at, look at Belarus. L- yeah. Look at Belarus, but look at Belarus, Russia, and Hungary. I mean, right. I have no love for any of the leaders of those countries. Yeah. But honest, like it, 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 you know, it, it was taken sort of as like um, they were doing this kind of like fascist move by cracking down on mm-hmm. Western-backed yeah. NGOs and civil society uh, organizations. When in fact, it's one of the most rational things you can do yeah. because those groups are there for a very specific purpose. That's practically stationing troops in your country. I it mean is. that is that is it that is. is what it is. Yeah, um, totally. They are they are not there. If if and and when people sort of bleat about this kind of stuff, it, it it belies like the most sort of like simplistic childlike view about how America American power projection works. Mm-hmm. America does not have these groups in Russia because they they are so concerned about gay rights in Russia mm-hmm. or you know or you know, parliamentary, whatever in fucking Hungary. No, they are there so that if we ever need to, um, maybe make a little change in scenery or, you know, (laughs) maybe twist things around a little bit, we can do that. It's power projection, plain and simple. It is not nothing to do with the causes that they purportedly, um, you know, fight for or against. I mean, look, uh, uh, our the leaders in our country, like the, the centrist, a solar quarter establishment, were saying that Russia, buying Facebook, you know, buff Bernie memes was the equivalent of Pearl Harbor. So yes. can you imagine if Russia had like 50 NGOs monitoring our elections, mm-hmm. bu- you know, buying friends everywhere, promoting um, um, whatever their version of NATO is, you know, that they have with Kazakhstan. Like, it's just, it's all thing. It, it's really ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and you have to be, you know, there's just, people are just so naive out here about how it works. You just, uh, it's. Well, I mean, look, America's greatest export and what they bank on at home is propaganda. I mean, they're so, the US propaganda machine is so fucking strong. It's so, so strong. And that's on top of, you know, whatever kind of like, whatever other Zizekian trash can we're all eating from. Ideology. (laughs) But on top of that, you know, and, you know, we can talk about this when we talk about, you know, current you know, possible conflicts with the U.S. and Russia, Russia, but like even critics of America buy America's own bullshit to Mm -hmm. a certain degree. And it's real difficult to like break out of. It's really, really powerful stuff. And it's really, even with the internet, it is still difficult to find people. I mean, try to find information that's reliable about what's going on in China. You really Mm -hmm. have to dig and vet and kind of look at like, 18 different, like, at least for me, it's like I collage together like 18 different sources of people who are all over the place to try to then figure out what's going on outside of Western, the kind of like Western frame. It's just, it's so difficult. Yeah, no, it's it's something John and I have talked about a lot. Like if, if you are going to research something and we see this all the time, researching shows and if and if you're going along kind of a path that is very much in line with the Acela Corridor, DC thinking, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Google is like a smooth flowing river. You're going to find everything yeah. right away. Boom, 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 boom. If you're looking for, wait a minute, you know, you're you're taking a skeptical view. You're trying to find, you notice something's wrong with that narrative, and then you try Googling. I mean, it's like it is really hard to navigate. Really yeah. hard to find, yeah. and you have to put in way more work to do it.
But anyway, so yeah, so getting back to this, so uh, these huge Orange Revolution protests, heavily backed by, again, all these uh, American NGOs, I mean, particularly really, again, the National Endowment for Democracy, um, International Republican Institute, and so on and so forth. Along with, I remember hearing at the time, it, it was one of the major U.S. marketing firms. I mean, look, they, they branded Orange. Oh, I mean, yes. it was so yeah. branded. It was so good. <laughs> and it was brilliant. I think it was either Burson Marsteller or one of the many groups under the WPP, you know, um, umbrella. But uh, um, the, the branding was just amazing yeah. on it. And, um, you know, eventually what's – so who were the leaders of it? There was Victor Yushchenko, who came from the far West, an old kind of nationalist family, and his wife was a – diaspora, Ukrainian nationalist, American, actually. Uh, he was the central banker and a prime minister. And then he w- he was the guy who ran as the head of the Orange Revolution. He was the one poisoned with dioxin. Yeah. Remember, his mm-hmm. face was poisoned. I remember Probably that. He looked, by all, his, he looked all fucked up. Yeah, very fucked up. Um, <laughs> it was blamed on Russia. It's always possible, but Ukrainian, I, I, it's way more likely it was done by you know internal Ukrainian, the rivals, the rivals, mm. uh, yeah. Yanukovych. You know, Yanukovych is like a jostling. Yeah, Yanukovych is like a convicted rapist, if I remember right. I mean, an yeah, actual, he is. Yeah, yeah, just an actual goon. You know, and not particularly smart either. Um, but pliant for the the whole Donetsk mafia people. So anyway, um, they the election is ruled by all these NGO election monitors. Uh, Yanukovych wins by a few points in the first round. We say it was you know, not free and fair. And basically, as far as I can tell, we tell the oligarchs that back Yanukovych, you have two choices. Either you're get, you're, your life is going to become hell and you're only going to be able to travel between Ukraine and Russia and we're going to sanction all your offshore money. Mm. Or, you know, you come over on our side and you'll be able to be rich and fly wherever you want. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where Pinchuk first started becoming a pro-Western oligarch. Um, so they redid the election and yet Yushchenko won. And with Yulia Tymoshenko, you remember the beautiful. Prime oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> do I, Mark, think of who you're talking to. Why do you think I went to Ukraine, Mark? Oh my God. It searching was too, for Yulia. Uh, searching brother. I found her. <laughs> now I'm just, I, I gotta get her away from me. If you know what I mean? <laughs> Um, but you know, we can, we can continue. <laughs> so, uh, Yushchenko and Timoshenko, the two pro-Western anti-Russian nationalists are already falling out within a year. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and Yanukovych already is brought in as prime minister of Yushchenko. Yeah. They have, they have got like <laughs> four or five guys they could just go to and it's just like a yep. rotating, it's like musical chairs and yeah. the they don't Ukraine, know what to do. Well, look what happened when they tried a new guy with Zelensky. Yeah, I know. Yes. <laughs> I mean, can we use the, the expression Gogolesque yet? Or is it yeah. Too yes. okay. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, right. So then, so Yanukovych, you know, the international evil bad guy is in with the Orange Revolution leader. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Timoshenko <sighs> is ba- genuinely does become Kremlin friendly, believe it or not. Like she starts hanging out with Putin. <laughs> and, uh, and, and one thing that Yanukovych and Yushchenko bond in is their mutual absolute hatred for Timoshenko. And they work together eventually to get her jailed. And she later isn't released until the Maidan revolution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2000, 2000- I remember that worst day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> the tax I got that day. Sure. <laughs> 
2010 is the next election. So, you know, you had this election in 2005 for and the pro-Western guy wins. Who went against the the evil, bad, anti-democracy, autocratic, you know, pro-Russian guy, Yanukovych? Who wins in 2010? Yanukovych. He actually beats Timoshenko and then later jails her. Um, but, but in the first round of the election, when all the people, can, all the candidates run, you know, Yushchenko is one of the guys who runs. And he comes in fifth place. This is Ugh. how much that pro-Western, U.S.-backed, we're going forward, you know, know, how much of a failure it was. He came in fifth place with 5% of the vote. Mm-hmm. Um, Yanukovych wins, so now everyone's all in a really bad mood because it makes the West look bad and mm. makes Western yeah. Ukraine look bad. Yasha Monk freaking out. <laughs> totally. He's like, he's like got four new books out about you know the democratic backslide or whatever the fuck his, right, <laughs> his books right. are about. <laughs> um, one thing Yushchenko does when he's a lame duck is he rams through, well, one thing he does is he he officially announces that Stepan Bandera is an official state hero. That's right. Yes. elevates him. And mm-hmm. and actually back then- Now he, time to Google who that is. <laughs> and, oh, and, I'm so, oh, this guy? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and actually that's probably the last time the EU and people in the West said, wait a minute, that's Little bit too far for us. That's a little yeah. bit, you know. Yeah, you're supposed sure to keep it a uh, little, little more yeah. subtle than that. Yeah. Yeah. And he also pushed through, um, um, uh, as I recall, uh, language laws that were like basically everyone has to speak, you know, Western Ukrainian. Uh, we can't speak Russian anymore. Well, yeah. that's a big yeah. thing with Ukraine thing, is that there thing. is a huge language difference. I mean, yep. to a, uh, listen, to a Jew like me, Ukrainian looks the same as a Russian. I'm sorry. You both look like you're going to kill me. But the the language difference in Ukraine there is um is pretty stark, especially when comparing east to the west. Yep. And the the Ukrainization, I, it's a really difficult word to pronounce. Um mm-hmm. Ukra- I feel like there should be another couple syllables in there, but <laughs> the Ukrainianization of the language um has been a big flashpoint. Uh, yep. and uh and so it was like sort of minority language rights. And language rights are, you know, I think in America, a lot of people don't really think about it that much, but language rights can be really, 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 really important. I mean, if you Mm -hmm. look at the Kurds in Turkey, one of the biggest flashpoints there with their their struggles against the central government, besides obviously all the other stuff, is language rights and sort of the Turkification of the language. And this happens throughout, like, basically... A lot of different countries that have a sizable or even sort of smaller minority language is if the central government basically tries to make a uniform language or in more scenarios like in Turkey, ban the minority language, that can cause, I mean, that it's, it, it's a huge flashpoint. Absolutely. And the West would back the minority language rights on, uh, on the theory of we, you know, we demand minority rights because suppressing language is like a violation of human rights. If that were you, you know, um, it could be instrumentalized to weaken mm-hmm. um, arrival. But in this case, yeah. actually, we want it suppressed to weaken arrival, so we we back it. But when Yanukovych came came to power, he changed the law in 2012 so that Russian became a second language. That was what it, one of the things he campaigned on. But that really galvanized the nationalists in a big way. Um, I think it was in that 2012 election that Svoboda, which is the straight-up fascist party, mm-hmm. won like 10, 15% of the vote and had a huge <laughs> presence in the parliament then, and then played a you know front role in, in the Maidan revolution two years later. 
Um, right. So just zipping through here, trying to get zip through 2013. <laughs> there, there's a, a big sort of struggle here. EU and the West want Yanukovych to sign this free trade agreement uh, with the EU, but it would be very punitive. It would mean opening up all kinds of markets and it would mean destroying Ukraine, um, Ukrainian industry or whatever yeah. was left. Um, and, but still the EU wouldn't let in Ukraine. I mean, it was very one-sided and very punitive, but it was a way, it, it was a way of, um, uh, maybe buying off Ukraine and, you know, it would bring yeah. in a lot of Ukrainian cheap labor. It would let the, the Europeans buy up a lot of shit yeah. in Ukraine. And then on the other side, Putin was putting together this as a counterweight, a Eurasia union, um, mm-hmm. and offered all kinds of like massive sweeteners so that if you join uh, the Eurasia Union, Ukraine would get billions of dollars, all kinds of very um, favorable trade deals and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, funny enough, Paul Manafort's whole thing was trying to get Yanukovych to go with the EU. The sure. Paul, Paul Manafort. My guy. That's another story. Yeah. Um, yeah, this the- is when the like West's kind of um, thirst for opening up Ukraine and, I, you know, I... Uh, I don't know. Maybe you disagree. Ukraine's natural resources are not, it's not as, it's, it's corn. not as, uh, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say it's as bountiful as no. maybe some people would assume considering it, how it's always in the news. And so people are always like, Oh no blood for oil or whatever. It's corn so, in ruins. Yeah. I, but I will say that the, the West kind of beginning, well, we'll get to, you know, Maidan, but you know, when, when that, you know, finally goes through the West really deindustrializes Ukraine. Oh yeah. Kind of like uh, at an unprecedented scale. Um yeah. and completely like all of all of its kind of manufacturing sector has just been completely depleted and ruined. And it was actually pretty strong. This is mm-hmm. something I think we've talked about um particularly with like like you know it was building a lot of like tanks. It was building a lot of uh Airplanes. Airplanes. Yeah. It, it, it was a kind of a, yeah, rockets, you know. all Soviet. There was a bunch of old, so really strong, of course. Everyone knows strong engineering with, from the Soviets. Yep. Um, but the, the West really came in, privatized all that, and then deindustrialized it uh, very, very quickly. Um, so it's really not a kind of like, you know, natural resource issue so much as, you know, strategic and then, you know, greedy, greedy, greedy. Yeah, in the east, the pro-Russian parts is where the wealth was, and is very dominated by, by very, very scary, powerful mm. oligarchs like yep. Renat Akhmetov. These are guys who survived. Like we hear about the the sort of the Russian, you know, organized crime slash oligarch wars of the '90s, and it's, it was very rough in that area. And it was a very wealthy area. It's now all divided up, and and you know, and and a lot of it's been ruined. Um, but yeah, no, it's, and, and Western Ukraine has tons of land. I mean, what is, what is the West want from Ukraine in that sense? I mean, what are its, what are its, um, valuable sort of resources aside from like, yeah, p- pipes and steel, and some of that mm-hmm. stuff, but, um, land, agricultural land, mm-hmm. they're re- and really trying USAID has programs, NGOs that they fund to try to get people to favor selling land to foreigners. Yeah. I mean, basically what the Germans wanted when they went in in 1918 and 1941, they wanted yeah. that, that land. And um, and 
Well, you can't make slave labor directly slave labor out of Ukrainians, but you can make well, they cheap. tried. Yeah, <laughs> they tried. So instead you can make them completely cheap, exploited, yeah. zero rights labor, which is kind of what they are now. I mean, millions have left the country. Million I think the population has declined from something like, I don't know, forty to forty-five million to about thirty-two million. Uh, I mean, it's I mean, just been, I know, I yeah. I know Ukrainians who have left the country. Yeah, like people I know have moved to get because they, you can't get paid. One of the guys I know was, you know, he had a job that would probably net him like, you know, six figures in America, and was likely. I mean, I think he was getting paid as much as like a McDonald's worker in America. So he yeah. split. Yeah, and uh, I think the average Ukrainian makes about two hundred, two hundred. Maybe they're lucky up to three hundred a month now. By the way, Ukraine's GDP has never fully recovered from where it was in 1990 before the Soviet Union collapsed. Mm -hmm. One of the few republics that hasn't. Um, but there was one guy uh, who came to Ukraine and made riches. Can't really understand why everybody else isn't rich. I mean, he was paid a fortune. He was paid, I think, something like 4,000 times the average wage a month. Um, and he happens to be the son of our president. Hunter Biden, right? Uh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, we did, we did, we did an, episode an episode on that too. I know you did. It was a great episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, isn't that fun? I mean, it's it's so hard. It's so weird to think that it, we're talking about Ukraine all the time and literally no one is saying, you know, the president's son <laughs> made tons of money from a corrupt oligarch there. And the same oligarch actually also funded the uh, Atlantic Council, which has come up with all the... Biden's uh, plans. Mark, I'm sorry. I, this is just Nazi prop. This is Russian propaganda. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Yeah, it's true, but it's Russian propaganda. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so uh, literally the minute this happens that, that he announces they're not going, that Yanukovych announces they're not going with the EU deal and they're going with the Russian deal instead, immediately a pre-planned protest um, is set mm -hmm. up, led by Oleg Rybachuk, um, very close to the U.S. Embassy. I remember going through WikiLeaks cables, very close. He was he was a point man. Well, he was a big operator in in the um, Orange Revolution. He has deep intelligence ties, very close to the U.S. Embassy. He did a lot of work for them, trying to convince Ukrainians that they want to go and setting up like NGOs and workshops to try to make NATO popular there. It's It's been yeah. long been a big, big priority of the U.S. Embassy is selling NATO. And it's never been popular there. Never. Uh, you know, even with war against Russia, I think the most you can get maybe now, but they don't want to put it to a referendum, not the NATO supporters, is it's maybe has gone up to about 50-50 at this point. Maybe. But mm. it's going back down again. Um, but it was always in the 20 to 30% range of support, basically all in, in the far west, in the old yeah, yeah. Austro-Hungarian Bandera part of the country. But um, yeah, so they set up uh, uh, Rybachuk's NGO. Um, it was, he had two major NGOs, New Citizen and uh, Center UA. <laughs> and I wrote about this way back in early 2014 because I looked up who funded it. And it turned uh -huh. out the major funders of Ribachuk who set up, according to the Financial Times, like these were the guys who set up the Maidan revolution back in November, the day it started. Uh huh. Edge my seat here. Yes, these two NGOs. It was Pierre Omidyar, publisher yes. of The Intercept. And and the guy who bought and then essentially shut down the Snowden uh, NSA files and 
USAID uh, with a bit of money from a Soros cutout, but it was mostly just USAID, NED, but and Piero Midiar. So that that that's that's the thing is like is with with this like you know I, I've made a few references on the show to Pierre Omidyar and his um, opportunities he took in Ukraine, mm. but uh, this is I mean it's 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 sort of you know you can just see like a one to one correlation here with like money goes in and then revolution kind of mm-hmm. happens here and it's it's sort of astounding that like you know these these Western aligned private citizens are. Mm are basically funding what what turns out to be a revolution that topples what is i mean legally a democratically elected yep. president you know yeah. i you know i have no illusions about the state of democracy in ukraine then or now um but you know going by these standards with which we are judging our many of our allies uh, democratically elected president to, and they they, t- they yeah. take him out you know what it essentially turns out to be a, a, basically a coup yep um, you know, the leader has to flee the country and, uh, yeah, it's, it's this, this guy, but no, he changed his tune. Now he's, he's like a left, he's like a left, left wing guy. He believes in <laughs> like, uh, privacy. Sure. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I also want to say too, that for as much as, you know, uh, you know, we mentioned USAID, Omidyar, Soros, these guys, we, it would be remiss if we didn't mention Newland, Samantha Powers. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony Blinken, I, these repugnant all hoes. these guys, yeah. um, are, you know, in official capacity, basically, Absolutely. are there yeah. on yes. the ground making sure that things don't go awry. And, yep. you know, depending on what angle you're looking at, things do go awry. They're like, <laughs> use different runes on your so. armband. Yeah. Well, use awry meaning, yeah. yeah, they would probably say it went awry now, but yeah. I think they were pretty pretty happy with how things went. Oh yeah, totally. I, yeah, no, Vicky Newland was going around giving out cookies. Mm-hmm. Um, McCain was sharing the stage with yes. the head of Svoboda. Oh my God, I forgot about yes. John McCain. Yeah, oh, McCain, Which is, time. I wish, oh God. Yeah. Still the That's greatest so thing cool the Vietnamese done. got to torture him. <laughs> I know, Dude, imagine it? if you're the Vietnamese guy who like fucked up McCain's arm forever. It's like, yeah. it's like 2006. Yeah. You're just like, this is so like, I want the like name of the Vietnamese guy who saved him and kept the crowd away. Yeah. We you should know? kill that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when Trump war. was like, if you were a better pilot, you wouldn't have crashed. <laughs> I, know. I gotta say, that, that was, was so incredible. He's like, oh yeah, I like the soldiers who didn't get captured. Like, yeah, <laughs> me too. That's also Trump pointed out that the POW thing, the POW MIA thing is totally fake. A total myth, even though those flags are posted at every fucking I know. goddamn post office oh in America. God. Yeah. The, yeah. Get All where's over the New York State. Everywhere exactly. York, Where, yeah. What POW are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Who? They don't know because they're MIA. They're, they're yeah. MIA. Wait, what was that so fucking Bo Grits? What is Bo, Bo Grits in charge yeah. of the fucking post <laughs> office? I forgot it's about ridiculous. That P- the POW uh, MIA yeah. thing is a. Is Ross a, is a now, exactly. We're go find those uh, MIAs. You know, it was like, a marketing <laughs> scheme to sell T-shirts, and now it's at the fucking <laughs> post office. Drives me crazy. Yeah, mm. it Don't is. get captured, moron. <laughs> Okay, so Maidan is another color revolution. Yes. It's 2014. It's It's in full swing. Yeah. And suddenly, out of nowhere, 
a bunch of fascists appear. I no, well, yeah. No. I would say this though, because I had a friend who uh, who wrote for. He now works for like one of the big agencies, but back then, not ages. I mean, like you know, Bloomberg or whatever. Um, <laughs> Those not, news not agencies. The agency, yeah. Um, who uh, went for uh, my newspaper, The Exile? He went uh, and covered the Orange Revolution. He was very sympathetic. He'd lived there. You know, you can under. It's. It's easy to be sympathetic with this unless you have a lot of foresight into where it's going to go. Because, you know, the people on the other side are kind of like openly corrupt and the people who are being used, who think they might get something out of it, are all decent, largely like younger, decent people are like, screw this guy. Like Yanukovych was obscenely corrupt and he pissed off a lot of the oligarchs by trying to centralize the the corruption essentially too much for their taste. Uh, kind of like trying to do a Putin thing, but where you get control over the oligarchs, but in a very, very poorly done way. And um, and he sh- I mean, anyway, in a country that's not unified like Russia, Mr. Was. Yanukovych, you yeah. are no Vladimir Putin, sir. I knew Vladimir Putin, and you, sir, are no Putin. And and he was, I mean, he had alienated even a lot of. The, the sort of the the pro-Russian regions based there, especially among wealthier people and organized crime leaders and so on. Like you really had alienated a lot and no one was excited about him anymore. And that's the thing about these color revolutions. They take advantage of that. It's not the principle. It's like, well, we can tap into this grievance to try to get what we want, which is yeah. we know that if we Russia's becoming more and more powerful it's becoming more and more of a problem for American hegemony. And since the 90s, America can never get over the fact that there had total global hegemony, you know, by December 31st, 1999. And the world should always be that way. And it can't handle anything it's else. Like, it's right? like a junkie chasing its first, his yes, first shot yes, over and yes. over again. It's like, man, it was I so remember good. how sick <laughs> yes. it was in like 95. Yes. Shit was going so good. Yeah, it was and so now clean. it's like, dude. <laughs> I think U.S. foreign policy still acts that way. Everyone still totally. wants 1999. They're like, totally. man, the best years of everyone's life was the Clinton years. Yep, me too. Nine years old, I was fucking. <laughs> dude, I was doing. I dude. was just getting a D and D. I was getting some modules. Like it was, <laughs> things were going so good. I, I, I yeah. school wasn't hard enough for me to fail at yet. Like it was. Yeah. Tonight we're going Fantastic. to intervene like it's. I wasn't involved in the planning and uh, carrying out of the t- the attacks upon the twi- the World Trade Center. Like that hadn't happened yet. Yeah. It was, yeah, <laughs> ninety nine was good, but even that was a moment. Still, like it just it took a while. This this slowly collapsing, slowly mm-hmm. slowly collapsing empire took a while. But and mm-hmm. part of that that collapse is the complete inability. Unlike weirdly enough, in the kind of the seventies this complete inability to come to grips with any reality anymore and just say, no, we want it to be like this year. And we're going to pretend no matter what's happening, that it is that year and just, yeah, what just go along with it. Um, but anyway, so, um, they, they were very open that, you know, if they could permanently peel Ukraine away from Russia, rather than, than it being, a border state, right? And going back and forth and so on. Like Russia was all right with Ukraine um, even being, playing ball with the West, playing mm-hmm. both sides, even being more pro-Western, so long as they weren't actually in NATO. Yeah. Yeah. Then it, they could deal with it. You know, they yeah. could deal with the situation. They were and tolerating then, it. Yes. Tolerating it, 
doing all their best to, you know, fight under, under sort of under the radar, doing their own subversion things and so on and so forth. But that was a, that was a struggle that was still didn't need any kind of overt war struggle. That was a struggle they were still willing to kind of battle with so long as it, we weren't talking about bringing Ukraine and NATO and, and the West knew that it was going to be hard to get, to get them in NATO. And you were going to need, uh, a much more radically pro-Western, <laughs> yes, so to speak. So and and so Indeed, you know some people that were much much more <laughs> radical, yeah. some uh, uh, some motivated, that, yeah. very motivated. Uh, the types that really believe in something, yes, yeah, the types uh, and that will really fight, for, hate fight to the end. Yeah, so yeah, basically, what we're saying are insane fascists. Yes, yeah. And who were the two leaders? So the Maidan Revolution was on the Maidan Square. Mm-hmm. In the center of Kiev, but the Maidan Square had this thing called the Maidan uh, Self Defense Committee. Yes, which was the heart of it all, the heart of everything. They had all these, you know, as as an anarcho syndicalist, <laughs> I get down there and I see all these cool <laughs> black and red flags. Yeah, and I know, I'm like, huh? wow, yeah. Nestor Machno's back. Yeah, well, this is our workers moment. Are, the workers are rising up. <laughs> yeah, but then I noticed that that um, they were using uh, RPKs on full auto on gypsies, and I was like, this isn't. I don't remember <laughs> exactly. reading about this in, yeah. in any panic connect or whatever you know this is really confusing to me yep so the two head the head of it was andre parubi he was the founder of the social national party which became svoboda um and and uh, he has a book uh i've read a little bit of it in translation because ukrainian is just different it's closer to polish as far as i can tell in parts of it than Russian. so mostly z's uh, <laughs> yeah, just kind of like consonants together and weird eyes, you know, here and there. Um, but, uh, um, uh, he wrote a book called, uh, view from the right. And that mm-hmm. meant them at the right wing. And on the cover, he's in this like 30. So these people love cosplaying for real. Right. So he's in an actual <laughs> 30 style, what you would see in an old photo of a fascist then with like a holster strap going over the shoulder and a gun. It is a breeches and boots and, and a big wolf angle, huge wolf angle flag behind him. And it's all about how we have to, the white nation is under threat from Russians who are Mongols and Asiatic and Europe, you know, that Ukraine is the border actually for the white race. Mm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. Let's rewind a little bit here. First of all, Ukrainians aren't white. (laughs) <laughs> they're not white you're yes. not white if it's my my view of white i'm making Whoopi goldberg look oh, like she is she is she is the inventor of critical race theory because my thing is that i go by the nazi definition of white when yep. it suits me uh which is mostly to say that if you're slavic you aren't you white yep. you ain't it you're yep. like a b white yeah. Like you're mm. like a you're like a B tier white. You're white in the fact that like uh you know I I don't know you your skin is white, but mm. like you're not like you're not an Uber mensch. You're just a regular mensch. If Whoopi had any real balls, she would have sparked a national conversation on whether or not Ukrainians were white. Just <laughs> yeah. like throw it out I there, see what happens. Yes. You know, you know her, get in the mix. You know, here's yeah. the thing too with Whoopi Goldberg, not her last name, but I support it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, her mom made her change her last name to Goldberg to sound Jewish, wow. which is really 
That's interesting. Um, which yeah. is crazy because that's actually that is a Ukrainian last name. It's, <laughs> it's a traditional Ukrainian last name. Shlomo Goldberg. Yeah. All right. So Peruvi. you've got so, these. So Perubi was the head of the self-defense, and Dmitry Yarosh, the head of right sector, you were talking about mm-hmm. the black and red flags, mm-hmm. was the deputy commander. And yeah. you so you have these actual Nazis, neo-fascists, you know how I mean. I don't think we should split here. Let's just call them neo-Nazis. I'm They're probably just going to refer to them yeah. as Nazis. For the- they love the Nazis yeah. Yeah. and they yeah. want to be like them. And and people <laughs> in Perubi's party, like they right after the Maidan revolution succeeded and they took powers, like the, the new minister from his party, the new minister of uh, uh, maybe information or culture, one of those two, like he was filmed going into uh, a main TV station that yeah. was seen as Russia-friendly, screaming about... Um, the the Moscow Moscali Jido Moscali uh, it basically means um, kike M- Moscow is like kike for Russians. Moscow. Wait, I'm sorry. And, yeah, they they think like Moscow and the Jews are yes, are the same thing. Yes, because I, you know what? Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Russians are Russians oh, are totally. Jews. Yes, <laughs> it's because they think They're communism is a is a Russian, which is Asiatic. Jewish, which and Jews are Asiatic conspiracy mm. to yeah. control the white race. I mean, it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like half it's, true. <laughs> so I think it would be good for you guys, but yeah, I mean, it seems like I don't know what's wrong with that. You guys are out of control. Look at Ukraine. <laughs> so uh, as this Maidan revolution, it doesn't go away. I, I, and this friend of mine from the exile who went there and checked it out, like about a month before it, it actually <laughs> turned overtly violent. He went there and I was like, so how is it? Because even I was kind of like, I knew what Yanukovych was like. And I remembered kind of the orange revolution stuff. And mm-hmm. I just hated those people pretty deeply. And I was like, so, you know, good guys, bad guys, you know, what mm. did you see? Are the like goons more attacking cor- them? More corny than anything. Yeah. And he said, no. And he answered, he goes, dude, the people in the Maidan Square are nothing like the people in, in the orange revolution, which was yeah. like this happy positive person marsteller with you know all right. the marketing balloons these were all criminals i mean who are the nazis hooligans the, yeah, yeah the nazis are are you know football hooligans criminals they're they're private armies that work for um oligarchs to take over factories to protect mm-hmm. their factories to bully people and they're and they're working for the security services or 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 factions of the security services because everything's you, factionalized. You know, when I was there in Odessa, a friend of mine was walking me around. Friend, Actually, he's from, from um, I think, Donetsk, uh, but he had had to, he moved. Um, and uh, he was like saying like, yeah, like pr- sort of prior to, I guess, the modern incarnation where they really heavily entered politics, like the kind of people who were like members of, you know, right sector and Azov and all of these groups, um, we're, f- we're football hooligans. Like, they right. were criminals. Like, I mean, yeah. football hooliganism gets really extreme in some countries. So yep. even though, yeah. I don't know, for, for those who have read Among the Thugs, I yeah. mean, it's it can get pretty extreme in Britain as well, but they're more Serbia, politicized yeah. in other countries. Right. Um, that's a fantastic book, by the way. I really, really, I don't know. I recommend it highly. Um, I mean, in Brazil, but, uh, that's basically Bolsonaro's like, I mean, yeah. street squad. Muscle. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of the times football hooligans, like it it sounds, even though that is like a pretty, I mean, especially Europeans, that can evoke a pretty violent, scary image or whatever, you know, like, oh, these crazy guys are drunk on lager. In in a lot of these countries, I mean, they basically serve the, um, you know, they're, 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 they're stormtroopers for yeah. whatever yeah. political party or criminal organization right. wants to uh, to hire them. 
which is always so funny because in soccer itself, it's like the only sport where you actually get an advantage by rolling around crying, pretending like you've been injured. Oh, <laughs> no, my leg hurts. Oh, my oh, gosh. It is so out of control. Muscle. It's so out of control. But here's the thing. Use your hand, moron. I can't believe none of these people have ever thought about this. Just use your hand to hit the ball. You yeah. can't do that. Yeah. And throw yes, it. you can. Yeah. They just don't know that. They, it's like a dog. It's like a. It's like a whole dog can't oh, play basketball okay. thing. Nobody's just tried it before. Okay. They think Air you can't do it. has tried it and Air, he's done it yeah. very well. Yeah, I'm saying there needs to be an Airbud for soccer, unless that's what Airbud was about. <laughs> but I'm he, assuming basketball because it was it in the air. Yeah. No, I think Airbud had a soccer one. Okay. Well, why don't so, you all try Bud with, with our CBD sponsor? Yeah. So Mark. Uh, <laughs> so getting back to it. So like in, in the lead up to it, there are these various violent acts. Yes. In hindsight, I went back through the record later and looked like literally every guy, there were one or two people killed. Every single one of them was a fascist. Somebody was beaten up. There were people who staged things. There was a guy who staged his own crucifixion and said that Yanukovych's goons did it. And it turned out it like later after the revolution, he'd done it to himself. Oh. You know, there was like a woman famously walking oh, so around. So Yanukovych was, was making people self-harm, Mark, and you think exactly. that's fine. <laughs> Uh, there was like a woman during the the actual bloody days. She had famously like made sure she was filmed running around with like blood on her, and she was a nurse. And later it turned out, I'm saying the Ukrainians themselves in post-might on Ukraine ruled she had faked it. The whole thing. There was a lot of that. There were a lot of people killed. Uh, apparently, a hundred people killed on that day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I got to say, first of all, it didn't make a whole lot of sense because all this blew up into overt violence right after. The US, EU, Russia, they all kind of cobbled together a deal. Yes. Where it I was clear. This. Yeah, it was clear like Yanukovych, like these guys weren't going to go away. Yanukovych was going to have to leave. This was not democratic. I mean, polls, there was a poll in the Washington Post right around this time that showed that maybe about 40% of Ukrainians supported the Maidan people. This is just before the actual well, overthrow. Well, of course, a poll in the Washington Post would say that. <laughs> They would say that, yeah. Right. Just, um, just kidding. But uh, um, uh, and then right after that deal, I think Yanukovych then agreed. Okay, he was going to stand down. There would be elections in a year. Yeah, and you know the fascists and basically their their sponsors in the West kind of understood. Now or never is our moment yeah. because in a year yeah. these guys can do you a have lot. To go of six with months. the momentum. Yeah. And just bust through that deal or else you're just never going to have another chance. Here's a little Belden program tip for you all out here. I have said before, (laughs) if you ever take over a country in a coalition with other political parties, make sure that your political party gets the post of interior minister. Yes. My My other thing here is that if you are in a Maidan type situation, a kinetic situation involving possible forthcoming elections, say no to the elections, say that they're going to be rigged, say that you can't participate in them and yep. force the hand, basically make the person leave that right there. Yeah. Because yep. you don't want to wait. A lot can happen in a year. You don't want to wait for those elections. And frankly, you don't want to wait for those fucking polls to come out. I think I think some powerful people were paying attention to the Belden plan. There. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, at the time I was I well, was the working Belden for plan that. Has some NAD. good backers. Some yeah, we yeah, have pretty strong backers. backers. <laughs> all the only the only program backed by all female type oligarchs who are strong, powerful, unmarried women, um, who are yes. part of the Belden harem. But oh yeah, so God. going on there, there was they they, they decided we're not doing this election, we right? Need to, so we they need this then guy out now. somehow for some reason gunfire started breaking mm. out. 
Uh-huh. Right. And it looked like, you know, all of us were kind of trained to bo- assume, well, these guys would shoot. And, yeah. um, I mean, these guys, Yanukovych's Berkut goons and the Tatushki mm-hmm. and so on. Um, and let me just say, it is really hard to know now, but there is a lot of evidence that um, it was a false flag operation, at yes. least in part. Um, and uh, that means some of the fascists who were running this, and, you know, unless you think fascists are too decent and principled to do something like that, actual fascist, um, you know, uh, it's, you have to understand, you have to accept the, the possibility that it is real and there's precedent for this. I mean, um, in other neighboring countries, let's say, so Western backed Yeltsin in 1993, he had a parliament mm-hmm. that was not yes. going for his reform program. Uh, then he abolished, he did a coup in October, uh, September, October of 93. He abolished parliament. It was illegal. The con- constitutional courts, it's illegal. He abolished the p- constitutional court. West totally backed him. Um, they hit out, uh, the the opposition hit out there and, and was protesting, but they weren't taking the bait really. And then suddenly on this one day, a lot of people that protesters hadn't seen before kind of took over a march and attacked, um, started attacking different places. And others who were with the protesters thought it was organic and went along with it. But even at the time, the New York Times said it was pretty clear, like the provo- there were provocateurs, Yeltsin right. provocateurs. Provocatskaya. <laughs> yes, provocatia. Yeah, whatever. Um, I'm yeah. speaking so in, in, the, uh, in the case of Maidan, what you're saying is that the kind of reports about the gunfire, about the snipers, about all of this kind of like flashbang that was happening, that itself pretty clear was an inside job, false flag. I, I would say, I, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I'd say there's a lot of evidence. I believe it because it's mm. happened in other places before and I don't see why it wouldn't. Um, and there's just a lot of evidence. I mean, number one, there's not been a single person prosecuted for it in Ukraine, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Ukraine could have prosecuted them. They had trials. Trials were shut yeah. down. Um, there have been some trials that are ongoing where actually information proven the other side that there were false flag weirdnesses going on. Um, that's come out in a lot of trials, but no one in the West. This, this is an ongoing, ongoing reported in Ukraine in the Ukrainian press. Ukrainian press, despite all of the real violence that they faced since the Maidan revolution, the pro-Western government came to power. They faced enormous violence, blacklist, people get killed, mm-hmm. beaten up, forced out of the country. But nevertheless, it is a pretty lively, it's a r- extremely ballsy and very mm-hmm. lively um, media. And they're on this. It's only the West that won't talk about it. And you are a bad person. You're a weirdo if you even bring it up. Um, BBC did run something. So this is the only, anytime people say oh, it's a conspiracy theory, because there is a Russian... I'm sorry, a Ukrainian Canadian researcher who has been like this guy knows every detail about it and knows how many, you know, it can can like demonstrate any number of shots that were definitely fired from the Maidan side, hitting protesters and hitting Yanukovych's people. But um, there was a BBC report a year later that interviewed a guy who was with. Um, uh, mm-hmm. was with the protesters and talked about how he was ordered to shoot uh, Yanukovych's people to start I've seen something. This, yeah. yeah, you've seen it. So it's yeah. it, there is a mainstream element to it. Yeah, go ahead, Brace. And you wanted to- I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it, there is, I mean, just to what you're saying right then, there is literally a BBC report. I yeah. think it's like 
what is it like 15 minutes long yeah. about about precisely what you're saying right now yeah. and 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 more to what you're saying like um you know unless you believe that these people are good people who would never do such a thing the people behind these protests the actual leaders that we're talking about you know the people behind right sector svoboda all of these groups right. believe in the two most murderous ideologies of the 20th century um not necessarily in terms of numbers but in terms of ideas and that would be fascism and liberal democracy and so mm-hmm. these people right. I mean, they want it, and they're going to stop at nothing. These yeah. were this is these people were fighting the opening stages and firing the opening salvos of a civil war here. Yep. And they, they this is this the you have to un, like look at what was the outcome of these shootings. Did they get what they wanted right. out of this? Absolutely, they did. Yeah. You know, and so I, obviously, like I agree. Like I don't know what the fuck happened. You know, what was like, Yanukovych going to gain from it? Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Despite, like like he he had. He was so wishy-washy himself, so corrupt and so wishy-washy. Like, what would he gain from it, especially after cobbling together a deal? He wasn't going to yeah. be able to do a giant nationwide clampdown. There were armed people all over the country. I remember from Lvov at this time, like there were reports of people bringing in artillery that they'd raided from like local National Guard units. And, and nobody really supported Yanukovych, as I said, not until he was overthrown and people realized what was taking its place. Yeah, where people in the east of the country really galvanized in a big way um, to to be against whatever the revolution was. Generally, I think people were just tired of everything and didn't see much to support mm-hmm. about Yanukovych. It's just, it's just odd. But um, I did bring up, you know, I think a lot of people know about the famous Vicky Newland phone call. Yeah. Where yeah. she's talking about what government we're basically deciding. I mean, again, talk about meddling. You know, you got Newland be, on the Sally. Yeah. Who was going to be uh, the leader? And it's like, well, it's not going to be Klitschko. He's the current mayor of Kiev, and yeah. he was like a big. Fit. He was the boxer guy. Um, yes, it's yeah. not going to be Klitschko. He, we're going to keep him on deck for later. You know, it's going to be Poroshenko and Yatsenyuk Yats, who winds yeah. up becoming the interim leader, and and a, and, a, and so on. And it's just they're so naked about. It. But anyway, everyone knows about that phone call, which was taped either by Rush and and released either by Russian intelligence or a faction of Ukrainian intelligence. No one disputes it where she said, fuck the EU. And they're like, mm. we're not sure the EU is going to go. And she says, fuck mm-hmm. the EU. I support her on that. Yes, very <laughs> much so. I know that was the coolest thing she said. Very much so. Yeah. But um, she also, there was, a, not she, there was also another call leaked right around that time. Um, maybe like a couple of days later, same thing posted on YouTube. And it is a conversation between Estonia's foreign minister and uh, the EU's basically like their head of foreign affairs, Kathy Ashton. Mm-hmm. And he's in this call and he's going over with her. Um, basically, the, the political situation is mostly kind of boring stuff. And, and his talk with this woman who was like a very, she was kind of a hero of my own. She was a nurse. She was a medical person. I think she was, they wanted her to be a health minister after um, the Maidan revolution. I can't remember if she actually did it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were talking about what she was saying was going on there. And then at some point, the Estonian foreign minister um, says, yeah, and there's some other disturbing stuff that was said here that um, that I'm not really sure how to deal with right now. I don't know. Do you want to play a little bit let's, of it? Let's, uh, yeah, yeah, young yeah. Chomsky, let's roll clip. It was quite disturbing. The same Olga told that, well, all the evidence shows uh, that people who were killed by snipers from both sides, among 
policemen and, and people from the streets that they were the same snipers killing people from both sides. Well, that's, yeah. That's so that, and then she also showed me some photos. Uh, she said that has medical doctor, she can, you know, say that it is the same, same handwriting, the yeah. same type of bullets. And it's really disturbing that now the new, uh, new coalition that they don't want to investigate what exactly happened. So that there is now stronger and stronger understanding that behind snipers, they were, it was not Yanukovych, but it was somebody from the new coalition. My God. <laughs> I'm sorry, listeners. We, I, we, I listened to the clip. I've heard the clip before. I listened to the clip earlier. Frankly, we did not just play the clip for ourselves right then. We've already heard it. So yeah, that's, that's us pretending to react in real time acting, to man. it. That's crazy. Oh, my, my God. I can't, this, is, this is crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that seems pretty bald. I mean, again, like there's always a lot of rumors and, you know, it's very, you know, as somebody who is, who is, who has been in, uh, let's say kinetic environments before, there's always a lot of, you know, information can be difficult to actually get to the center of until the dust has settled. But the, frankly, the dust never really settled with this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it does seem really likely. And I'm not just saying that because I don't like a lot of the groups involved in this. Like it really, it, I mean, Frankly, yeah, I think they shot they shot other protesters. I, I, I and, thought it was so interesting this. that the the um, everybody accepted the Newland tape. You know, they're like, "Well, it's Russian disinformation to leak true tapes." Mm-hmm. With this one, it just it broke people's brains at the time because this was like this was confirmation not just that Russian disinformation was right, but like the darkest, darkest mm-hmm. Russian disinformation yes. conspiracy, or what they think was a Russian disinformation conspiracy theory like the most extreme one was right here you have this minister saying all these people were shot by the protester side by our side and also saying and this turned out to be true that she's saying this is never going to be investigated and no one's ever going to be prosecuted for this because all of it was done because the eu and the west the people who weren't in on it uh, not all the, I'm sure somebody in the EU and the West knew, mm. um, but all the people weren't in on it just assumed, you know, what they're being told in the press is right. And that turned out to be true though. Her prediction that, yeah. um, that no one was going to be prosecuted because it was an inside job, yeah. a false flag that turned out to be true to this day. So I, I feel like, you know, the evidence is there. It's pretty, it's very compelling. Yeah. I'd say, I mean, I'd say, yes, it definitely happened. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, people would say that, uh, you know, Putin set up, blew up Moscow apartment buildings to start the Chechen war. And everybody yeah. who's like mainstream believes that's that conspiracy yes. theory. And it may be true. I think there's, I think there's a lot of evidence to it. I don't think that was Putin so much. That was Yeltsin and the Yeltsin family. They needed a war to save themselves because mm. Yeltsin was dying. He wasn't going to, he couldn't right. be president again. And Putin looked like he was the guy. Putin may or may not have been part of that, but that was when the Yeltsin family, as they called it, ruled the country, backed by us. And I think there's very strong evidence that they did that. That's what people do to keep power or to gain power. Like, let's not be children here, you know? They do nasty things to get power. Well, there's also, I mean, you got to consider the fact that they could be sacrificing these people to Dazbog. Uh, the, you know, the, the, it's an ancient god that their people uh, used to worship by combining their flesh with metal and sending their soul to the afterlife. Oh so, to, in, 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 you know, to to birth a new nation. I mean, could be. 
Frankly, no, I don't think actually, that angle has been explored enough. No, I think you're, I mean, they're called the heavenly hundred yeah. in, in Ukraine. They've yeah. totally been like size, whatever the freaking well, word is. Well, I mean, so one, one of the main, oh, the main book I've read on Bandera is a book that's called The Bandera Cult. Um, mm-hmm. you know, yes. and, and there is a sort of tendency towards veneration and worship in this particular way that I think that like, um, People in the West that we, we we sort of take for granted all these like statues and 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 you know pictures of you know I, I, George Washington and sort of the founders of the nation, but there is this very like uh, there's this closeness that's missing from that that a lot of people I think in this region have to to some of the sort of venerated martyrs that they have. Uh, so I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I totally agree, and I think you know it's important to know that whatever we think. And whatever Westerners think about what happened on Maidan, which was a coup um, against an unpop against a corrupt and unpopular president, um, whatever we think and whatever myths we've told ourselves about it, like Ukrainians know what went on, yeah. and have their ideas, and it's not a popular coup anymore, a revolution at all, and Russians know what went on, so we can tell ourselves any fairy tales we want to, and we do. And probably a lot of those fairy tales really are just about us and keeping us, you know, keeping the home country up for uh, um, empire. But like they know what the hell went on. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you think that Ukraine ended in 2014, you're unfortunately correct. Russia (laughs) deployed small scale thermonuclear weapons and annihilated the country rather than give back. Uh, one inch. I don't even know what give back. I, I'm lying here. No, <laughs> we have a part two that's coming up. Yeah, very shortly. Oh, part one left me on the seat of my pants. What happens next time? Does Russia invade? Is there? Do they make another Ukraine? Is a what? How come? How come there isn't a White Sea? Like what? What are they talking about here? Is it so crazy? Oh, I love that episode so much. That's oh, so. Man. That's that's like the kind of comments I was thinking of, of oh, leaving sure. like under my pseudonyms when we yeah do yeah the, all the, the all the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah all the other um all your finstas yeah. my my what is a finsta. That's the private Instagram. Isn't that just in your Instagram? No. Who has a public Instagram unless you're a big booty uh, Latina? <laughs> well, they also have a, fin- a Finsta. Yeah. Oh, so that's like, that's like where you show Instagram. nudes. People put nudes on Instagram? <laughs> like yes. a picture of your naked body? Yeah, people be crazy. Why would you ever do that? <laughs> We've got part two coming up. So sit tight. I'm Liz. My name is Brace. And of course, we have with us here, nude Instagram model, Young Chomsky, producing. And the podcast is called True Anon. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Jeffrey.